Welcome to my first podcast with Fazan Ahmed. This is a pre-recorded message. So Fazan Ahmed is a second year medical student and we talked about all the small things he's learned, including how to study properly, what he did for the MCAT, applying for medical school, and how he motivated himself throughout the entire process. He's also a TEDx speaker and we refer to, the, to his speech a lot. So make sure you check it out, it's in the description over here. He's the founder of Medic Tribe, which is an online community. So make sure you check that out on, on Instagram for free medical advice and the MCAT advice. Also make sure you check out Free the MCAT. It's a really good resource for your early on in the MCAT. And also make sure you check out Professor MCAT, which, which has free MCAT videos. So that's in the description at the bottom. Also, make sure you subscribe to this channel if you want to see future videos, obviously. So please support the cost. Thank you, people. Bye. You know, thank you for taking the time to, you know, come out here and talk to, talk to me. That's awesome. Um, so you're a second year med student and you, you talked about, you know, you're an amateur boxer as well and a TEDx speaker. And I, I saw your, your, your TED talk and really got me thinking how you have used something so so uh, a tragic event into something so inspirational and the first thing i really want to ask is you know uh well for those who haven't seen the TED talk maybe you could probably like highlight the events before we talk about anything if you could just go ahead and highlight those events yeah yeah um yeah i appreciate the the, the kind introduction first of all but uh and thank you for having me on here it's my first podcast but uh with the uh with the TED talk essentially i um, I started. What inspired me was the New Zealand event that happened last year when there was a shooting at a mosque. And um, you know, although I didn't have personally have family members at New Zealand, a very similar incident actually happened in mm -hmm. Pakistan, where my family's from, where there was a shooting in a mosque and uh, people unfortunately passed away. And my family members were, uh, you know, unfortunately victims of that attack. So when the New Zealand thing happened, it kind of hit me pretty hard, and I just wanted to do something to help. And I just had this crazy idea, you know, I've seen people do 5Ks for, like, you know, runs for charity and all that, but I've never really seen anyone or heard of many people doing, like, something like a strength exercise, like pull-ups for charity. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty big into physical fitness, and I wanted to use something that I was passionate about, which is pull-ups, and I uh, try to raise money. And so what happened was, was uh, it's kind of a funny story. I called up this guy who's uh, who he's the CEO of a company here in Lexington. I just kind of know him from high school, and I said, "Hey man, like I'm trying to you know raise money for this cause," and he was all about it. And I was like, "Hey, can you sponsor me?" And in return, I'll give your company a shout out on all the social media. And he was like, "Yeah, man." And he says, "Like, what are the logistics?" And I said, "I just want you to give me one dollar for every pull up that I can do." And then he, you know, his natural question was, how many do you think you can do? And I said, give me eight hours. And he says, well, how many do you think you can do in eight hours? And I, I've never obviously done pull-ups for that long. And so I just made up the first number that came to my mind, which is like 1,000, <laughs> a nice number. And so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I remember the first day I went to the gym after that, I did pull-ups for one hour. So my goal was to see how many I could do in one hour, then multiply that number by eight to just get like a baseline. I'm not even kidding. I did 20. And I've had, I was, I was done. And so, uh, what happened with that is that um, I just kept on working with it and uh, persevered, and uh, my story gained a lot of traction. It went, it was on the media, and all of that stuff, and that's how I eventually gave the TED talk. Dude, yeah, I was talking to my brother, and he's like, man, he definitely mentioned it in his college apps. Like, I'm telling you, he did. Is this what you mentioned in your college apps? Oh. <laughs> 
Me, uh, it's it, it's funny. I was on the uh, I was on the wait list for a medical medical school back then. Uh-huh. I hadn't heard back from them, and I emailed admissions with my story. I was like, hey, you know, just to let you guys know, I did this whole event. It was on the news. I don't know if this changes anything, <laughs> and they they absolutely loved it. I got an acceptance call the next week. I bet, man. I was I was like, man, if you wrote this, you should have gone to Harvard, man. This is the stuff you would expect from from really like like an application going to Harvard. It was really really interesting. Oh, you know, I if I. I if I would have applied at the beginning man, you of never know. Uh, what never was my know. junior year, I definitely would have put in an application to Harvard. <laughs> you never know, man, because this is the this is very unique. You, you don't hear often students are like, you know, we're doing this for, you know, helping other people, which is true, but it's very generic. Um, but that brings me to a point. Uh, you you mentioned about uh, the story where you were about to go to the, to the store, and this, this very same store was bombed. So it got me thinking, uh, you know. If this were to happen to me, I would be, you know, how do you not drift into a state of depression and not get, you know, like it's it's something that's super um, tragic. Like I, I myself would be depressed for a very long time if, if I if I figured out, hey, look, if I left earlier, I'll be dead right now. So how do you not how did you convert this energy into something so positive and not go into to, to the wrong route? Yeah, that's a good question. Something I talked about in my TED Talk. Um, it's kind of a controversial idea, but I think uh, pain and anger are some of the most positive things we can have in our life. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, while I was doing my pull-ups, if you hear the TED Talk, I mean, it wasn't a pretty thing. Like, I wasn't just oh, knocking yeah. them out. I mean, I, I was doing, my rate was three to four a minute, but, I mean, I was wearing these protective gloves, actually the gloves that I use for boxing. And even that, like the friction of the bar was hurt. It was getting into my hands and now my calluses were bleeding. Yeah, I remember And that. my dad's a doctor and my kidneys started giving out because I was, you know, like I was almost peeing. My, my, my like urine was turning very dark, which means that my muscles were deteriorating. Wow. And so like I was in a lot of pain and I wish that I could tell you what motivated me was thinking about all those people that mm-hmm. I was helping on this and that. But like in reality what was motivating me was the anger and pain that I had went through and thinking about the event like that anger fueled me. And so, you know, I think when, when things, when bad things happen to us in life, we either have a choice or we can pity ourselves or we can take action. And so I just try to take action. I didn't, I didn't feel any self pity or Uh, guilt or anything. I absolutely agree with that. You know, when I was in high school, um, it's a, it's a very scary story in a sense. And, I had this uh, friend of mine, and just a, just an acquaintance, really, and I ran into him in the restroom, and you know, we're, it's just n- normal stuff. We, it's like we had a f- our final weeks, and and he's like, I'm like, hey man, you know, uh, we got the finals coming up, you know, good luck with this, and and that very night was arts night, so he his artwork was about, you know, transitioning from high school to college, but that very night when he was going back from from school, he he was in a fatal car crash and he passed away. So you think about it, had he been just, you know, a couple seconds earlier or later, he might not have had that car crash. And this was such a strong, you know, it gives me shivers right now thinking about it. Because if you think that somebody who, you, who, who, who has been around you for so long just dips out of life just like that, what guarantee do you have being alive the next minute or hour? There is no guarantee. So... This is very similar to what you mentioned, but bringing to this is how do you avoid yourself getting to such a realm? Because you also experience this kind of trauma as well, and likewise your family. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question. What do you mean by like getting into that sort of realm? So a realm where you just don't want to do anything. You just want to sit down and and you can get over the fact that it's all pointless at the end. Because, well, of course, the impact you make make on others is 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 what essentially is uh, the life mission you should you should have. But for most of us, we figure that out later on, and, and many of us don't even think about it. So how do you not like when you go through trauma? You're definitely going to go through some kind of trauma in your life. But when you go through that trauma, how do you convert that energy like you for yourself, at least? How do you convert that energy into such a positive pathway like you did for yourself? That's a good question. So I was actually I gave a speech last year after my TED talk and I was asked the same exact question and I did engineering in undergrad. So I, I had to answer that question with the mathematical formula. The formula is uh, E plus R equals O. I'll break that down. It's basically events plus response equals outcome. So what I mean by that is I'll give you a story. Um, here in the USA, California is a very big state. Problem is there's, there's a lot of earthquakes every day. It's like a normal thing for there to be an earthquake. There was a news story that, was, uh, that went viral a few years ago. Uh, basically, there, were, uh, there was a big earthquake, a big traffic jam, right? These news reporters are interviewing these uh, people that are stuck in the earthquake. So there's a huge traffic jam. They interviewed the first guy, right? First guy is absolutely pissed off. He's like, I hate this city. I'm going to move. Like, I can't stand being in these traffic jams all day. I mean, he was upset. Uh, the interviewers noticed the guy literally behind him, the car behind him, this dude has a smile on his face. They're like, we got to interview this guy. What's he happy about? They went. They knocked on his uh, those window and they did an interview. This guy was like, "Dude, I love California. I know. I know there's gonna be an earthquake every day. I wake up at five. I exercise while I'm in the traffic jams. I have my Spanish audio CD. I'm learning some Spanish. And then when I'm stuck in the car, I have my newspaper right beside me, so I'm uh, freshing up on political events. So the event is the exact same mm. in both scenarios. However, the responses are totally different, and therefore the outcome is totally different. One guy's learning a new language. And, and becoming fit while the other guy's complaining. So to answer your question indirectly, I think, first of all, I think it's healthy and it's necessary to to kind of like process that emotional pain. I don't think anyone's like a robot where they just get up the next day and they're, they're fighting at it. I think, you know, mm-hmm. when we lose a loved one or when something like this happens, it's healthy to feel sad. You know, it's normal. But after a while, we got to ask ourselves, how are we going to respond to this? And th- I think that's what separates me from some other people. That's what pushed me to do that. I was like, this event in New Zealand happened. It sucked. What am I going to do now? And that was my response. It's well, it's well said. Because yeah. I think a lot of people fall into mm-hmm. like this, fall into the sadness trap. Like guilt and sadness and anger, they're contagious emotions. They make us feel better. Like we want to fall into that. But you gotta just gotta get out of the victim mentality. And you're, you're right. Get us out of your comfort I agree with that because whatever is happening in this world and us grieving about it is not going to make a difference it's all up here so if we st- i totally agree with that if we just sit down and do nothing we're just harming ourselves at that point and this is how life is we just got to adapt right. to it that makes complete sense but going back to that trauma do you think your family members also experience a similar kind of motivation from these strategies yeah so i i i, I kind of grew up in a kind of a tough love family oh, yeah. Daisy families where uh, <laughs> uh, yeah Daisy families man like you know if something if something bad happens your parents are just like good buddy <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
So I mean, I mean, it's it's funny, but I'm really thankful yeah. for it because what that taught me at the end is like bad things are gonna happen, but life isn't gonna pause for you. Mm-hmm. Time is gonna go on. That's what that taught me. It's really funny to think back that whenever something bad happened in elementary school, middle school, my parents' response was to go study harder, even if it had nothing to do with school. <laughs> and so, um, it, it kind of taught me like every second that I waste you know thinking about the past or feeling sad that's time that i'm wasting that i could be making a change and so i think my family members have the exact same mentality is that you know we feel remorse we acknowledge it but we're very quick to kind of move on and make a change in the future 100 percent. you know uh my whole family watch your ted talk as well and my mom we're i'm also from pakistan my parents are from pakistan she was like oh this guy over here you know, like she was so she was so inspired, but she was like, "You gotta be like him. You gotta go to TED Talk." You know, it's just like it's like basic thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> I totally yeah. feel you, man. <laughs> Even my mom's like that. She's like every morning get up. She's like first thing she says is like, "You're gonna you're gonna study for four hours today. Otherwise, you know, it's gonna it's, otherwise she's gonna get angry. You know, for no reason at all." It's <laughs> I can relate to that. But you know, going back to this uh, wasting yeah. time issue. So currently with the coronavirus and you know with quarantine, online college, many of the students, including myself you know, are having a hard time to use so much time wisely. So how did you use your time and what's your advice to students like ourselves? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think this has impacted everyone in different ways. Um, my thing was with so much free time, I kind of made a list of things that I've always wanted to do but never had oh, the yeah. time to because of medical school. So for mm. example, um, uh, I've always wanted to learn Spanish. It's a very popular language in America. And especially in the realm of medicine, it puts you uh, at a more competitive edge as a doctor if you're able to communicate with uh, patients who speak Spanish, right? So I've been, I uh, I just bought this Spanish course and I've been doing cranking out like an hour a day. And um, another thing was physical fitness. Now the gym's closed, but that doesn't mean, you know, back, back a thousand years ago, there weren't gyms, people still were fit, you know? And so I was doing, uh, I was doing just calisthenics exercises, like YouTubing chest workout at home, leg workout at home, free resources. So um, my biggest advice is just like make a list of stuff that you want to accomplish and then have like a little timesheet. I had a schedule every day, what time I was going to wake up. And like, I think what really motivates people, the, the way that a lot of people go wrong with time management is that their timetable is all the work that they have to do. But no one ever schedules in fun time. I've never seen anyone be like nine to twelve is when I'm 100%. watching Netflix or like, <laughs> yeah. like no, like like no. I scheduled in fun time, and that's what motivated me because it's it's kind of like tricking my brain, like positive mm-hmm. conditioning. Like if I get my work done, then I know I have a one hour break that I can watch my favorite Netflix Absolutely. episode. And then if I get seventy percent of my test questions right in my practice exam, then I'm gonna reward myself by like uh, going mm-hmm. out and running. So I said, like, these reward systems in place that kind of really help me. Rewarding uh, yourself get for a exercise. Lot of stuff I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yo, but, uh, you know, if you, if you uh, coming back to uh, rewarding, it's like, it's almost like uh, how would you, you would, you know, help a child make a schedule. You're not going to tell them to study all day long. You know what I mean? So you got to have that kind of fun time yeah, inside exactly. as well. I, I, you got to treat yourself. Totally agree with that part. Uh, so, you know, going on, going on with this conversation, of course, so... Do you st- so what made you want to become a doctor? Like this is very 
general question, obviously. Is there any particular life incident that happened as a child? I'm very curious in that question. Yeah, yeah. So um, one thing was was that a pretty traumatic life experience was that when I was in Pakistan, actually, I was about a mile away from a bomb blast that happened. Is this and another kind of one? Relates back to your story because I was. What did you say? Is this another one from the TED Talk from from the store store market? Oh yeah, yeah. So this was this was my story for that I gave in the beginning when I was talking about when I went yeah. to talk, when I was. I was in like, Pakistan. come on, man, so you're into many bomb blasts, man. I was like, <laughs> yeah, dude, something's yeah, wrong. Something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, uh, I I started off my my TED talk yeah. with an anecdote about me being 12 years old and me being in Pakistan and I was getting dressed up to go to a market, a local market. And uh, while I was getting dressed up, uh, the house that I was in started shaking. And I was pretty young at that time. I thought it was an earthquake. But then I realized it wasn't an earthquake because then I saw police sirens, mm-hmm. ambulances, and people screaming and all that. I was like, that probably isn't an earthquake. I went outside and I see fire. And I was like, okay, so, you know, it was a bomb blast. I remember going, passing by there a few hours later to see the aftermath and like, I mean, it was pretty graphic. You know, got limbs, guts, and it's it's a tough thing to see at such a young age. But uh, once again, it kind of relates back to what we talked about at the beginning. I don't know for some reason, even at that young age, I remember standing there at that moment and being like, "This sucks, but what can I do to help?" And um, the thing that I, the thing that went through my mind was like, "What if I could find some career or job that could let me give people like this a second chance mm-hmm. of life?" And I was like, what could that be? And the first thing that's, that that struck my mind was a doctor. Mm-hmm. Was that being a doctor, you have the knowledge and skill set to send somebody back home who might have died if they didn't get that's treatment. It's very interesting you brought that up. But now now let's say that this event never happened when you were you were your child. How do you think that would impact you? Yeah. Would I still do you think you still want to be a doctor? <laughs> yeah, so uh that's a good question. It's funny. I did engineering in mm-hmm. undergrad. I wasn't. Uh, I did biomedical engineering, so I wasn't your traditional pre-med <laughs> student with like a biology pre-med or anything. Um, what I've learned about myself and the answer that I gave in my interviews is that number one, I like working with people. I'm a I'm a teamwork type of guy, and so I like collaboration. And the number two, I was involved in a lot of leadership organizations in mm-hmm. college, so not only do I like collaborating. But I like being in a leadership role where I, I have with the responsibility to rest on my shoulders and I have to Very delegate. Good. I really enjoyed that. And then last but not least, I love the, the science and uh, physiology aspect of the human body. We actually have to study for, with biomedical mm-hmm. engineering. And it, it's so complex. And even in medical school, it's I can't even talk to you about like when, we, when we did anatomy, cadaver dissections and cut open the actual human body. I mean, it was insane and so i think i still would have would have ended up going uh the pre-med route just because there's no other career that you know integrates science into everyday life that's collaborative and working with people every day and that isn't is a lifelong learning experience because medicine is always changing like you can you can never be perfect which is what i love i always have something to chase after it's uh it's interesting you, you did engineering because you think about it the human body is a machine as well everything is working together with it you know it's 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 a uh, exactly yeah th- that's what we yeah, learned. Uh, so another point I have is since you do have basically parents, I do as well. You know, do do you think they have any influence on you becoming a doctor? You know, <laughs> this is the hard one. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a funny question. So, <laughs> um, 
it's it's i i was in the minority of daisy parents when my parents actually did not uh you know push me towards <laughs> sure. a certain direction just kidding yeah. maybe subconsciously right? you know when i was a when i was a child yeah, they must I know, have exactly. programmed That's what I think, maybe. but uh first 10 years of a child you know i was um i think i was five and my mom told me the story she's like uh my dad called my, my mom woke me up in the morning i was like don't call me daniel call me dr daniel and I, ever since then it's like everybody uh-huh. in the family has kind of expected that I'm going to be a doctor, so I'm like programmed for it. Like, it's just like in my head yeah. now. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, my, my dad's a doctor, and so that was a big influence. But I think that influenced me in a positive way because he never pushed me towards medicine, but he let me experience the pros and cons. He always told me mm-hmm. what he didn't like about the field so that I could make an informed opinion on whether I want to dedicate my life to it. So... I think I think that's I think I think the one thing Daisy parents don't do is tell you the disadvantages oh, yeah. of being becoming a doctor, <laughs> and so I th- I I think I was offered that unique experience where my dad told me what's not good about being mm. a doctor, and that kind of allowed me to make a really informed uh, decision about whether this is what I want to do. What's that one big life. thing that the biggest disadvantage of being a doctor from from your perspective? Uh, it it's hard to narrow it down to one thing. There's like there's a lot a actually that a lot of people say. don't know. I would say t- time mm. commitment. Do you, do you think it's also being around sick because people a lot? Because that would be my biggest concern. Because you're always around sick people. Yeah, yeah. I, w- with the it actually does depend on the type of Facts. specialty you go to. You go into like orthopedic surgery and something. Majority of the people like aren't actually sick, but I can see yeah. what you mean by majority of, of other physicians that are around sick people. It's more like you know your family. Um, yeah, for yeah, go me, on, sorry, the, go on. yeah. Oh no, no, I'm you're saying, fine. You know, you're if saying? you're sick, then it's more about your family. You know, if you go back home, your kids, your whole family, and you know, if you have if you're living with your father at that point, it's just just that aspect that kind of worries me sometimes. But especially with the virus around, especially with yeah, the pandemic. exactly, yeah. If, if there's something yeah. else, like I don't know, God forbid, something else happens, you know. I heard about the bubonic plague as well, you know? I don't know what's going on. But yeah. stuff like that really worries me. The, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that that's definitely a big yeah. issue now with the virus. Absolutely. Um, getting people sick. And I think I think it's just one of the sacrifices that you have to make. And it kind of goes back to, like, it kind of ties in with time commitment because um, you don't get to see your family and friends a lot once you, once you go this whole medical school mm. route. And just similar to the virus, like, you know, if you get tested for COVID and you come out positive, you kind of have to distance yourself from family and friends. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the same oh, yeah. thing. And so either, either way, time commitment or virus, the outcome of both is like you have less social mm-hmm. interaction. I uh, totally agree with that part. Uh, so what are some, uh, I totally know, like, it's, a uh, you know, how, what are some methods you would use for yourself to, know watch out for protection for the virus around it's pretty it's a pretty common question but what, what is what are some things that you're doing yeah so number one i'm trying to limit how much i go outside i think it's like a common one i don't i don't like to go out until unless it's necessary mm-hmm. um two is uh it's common sense but like wearing a mask there's there's a lot of dumb studies out there that are like mask doesn't help and this and that but it does something for I sure mean, like yeah. I, I don't know man i'm uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm in medical school. All my professors and doctors say wear a mask. I probably trust them more than the Facebook articles <laughs> that you probably see on your news feed. <laughs> um, but the, the so cra- wearing yeah, a the mask. The crazy part is that you have some yeah. people that are actively going outside and saying freedom of rights. We're not wearing a mask. It's just like you can't process that. You know, at this point, it's just so pathetic. Uh, yeah, you have people saying really crazy things in the U.S. right now. 
and people that I know as well. So it really gets me nervous when people say, hey, you, you can't wear a mask because it's, it's a violation of freedom rights. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, that's actually really funny. You know, I was boxing today and I was talking to my coach about that. And he was like, that's the same thing as a guy as when you're sparring in boxing and the guy that you want to spar says, hey, I don't want to wear a headgear because it's my personal right and I have the freedom to not wear headgear. You're more than welcome to not wear headgear, but what's going to happen is you're going to get knocked out <laughs> and you're going to get hurt. And so it's 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 the same it's the same thing. You're more than welcome to not wear a mask, but the outcome is you're probably going to get 100%. Sick. But when it comes to, you know, sparring, it's you want wearing a mask like it's not just about yourself at this point. It's about everybody around you. So I, f- I feel like there's an additional element in that, but people just don't get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, it's an interesting thing because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the young people especially, they don't want to wear, they, they don't really care about COVID because statistically affects mm-hmm. older people. But what they're missing, the, the whole point is that by wearing a mask, you're protecting the old people from not getting it because you can still give it to them. I think that's a major thing that a lot of people don't understand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, going back to the question I had before, uh, you know, it's hard being a doctor for sure, but if I told you that, you know, you could become a rapper, you know, guaranteed success, uh, you're going to be the next big shot, would you still give up this passion? Well, I'd still give up the passion, and so that's a good question because a rapper would obviously make more money, oh, yeah. uh, no, more school, fame, man. less that's of a time no, commitment. No, we're studying. No, no <laughs> med school. No, no med school. Yeah, exactly right. Um Honestly, you know, it's 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 funny because I love to read. Um, one of my favorite boxers, his name is Tyson Fury, and just uh, for anyone who's watching, you don't need to know anything about boxing. But the whole point is that this guy was a world champion. He had all the money, nice cars, and everything, but he was diagnosed with depression, really? manic depression, where he tried to kill himself. Wow. And he came and he's now world champion again. After he tried to kill himself, the boxing federation stripped him of his belt and everything. They kicked him out of boxing. Really? He ended up getting back in. It was a comeback and he became world champion again, which is a crazy crazy. thing. I don't think it's ever happened. But there was a podcast and I was listening to it because I was very interested. But like, how can someone who's so famous and successful and rich be depressed? I was like, I was like, how does that work? Because I feel like I'd be pretty happy. And he, he told he, he said that like at the end of the day, the cars, the money, you know, the ladies, all the attention, it's all external validation that doesn't mean mm. anything. Because at the end of the day, you go to bed alone. And at the end of your life, wow. you, you don't take any of that to your grave. And so to, to that response uh, for the same reason even if I was guaranteed success as a rapper I don't think the money the fame would be worth it to me because it's not something I really love doing so you're beyond that point uh, I think you you have a you have a very solid image of the bigger picture which is very unique to have I, I guess ever in your life I don't think most people will ever get it but uh, you're right when you die I think the I, I often think to myself if if you can't take the things that you see, you probably t- t- will take the things that you can't see when you die. And the things you can't see are the, the minor good things you will do. Uh, and and w- my mentor, who's uh, also a doctor, and uh, he's I met him very ironically. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's Pakistani as well. He's a really good guy. And I was talking to him, and he's, he told me that you know, he was walking by during, me- during residence years. And 
uh, he was walking by with his colleague, and they passed a homeless guy. But they went to a subway shop, got some sa- got some sandwiches, and his colleague bought an extra sandwich. On the way back, he gave that sandwich to the homeless guy. So he he was thinking to himself that, you know, if if God were he's a very he's he's kind of religious, I'd say. He's thinking if if God were to ask him, you know, you had something that somebody needed, and you didn't give it to him. What's going to happen? So this kind of even even if you don't believe in God, I think this mindset is so pure in nature. Like I feel like at the end, the only things that matter are are, are such deeds. Exactly, I agree with that. There's a there's a saying that I, that I read the other day. It said the richest man is going to be buried next to the yeah. poorest man, and they're going to both going to be equivalent at the graveyard, nice. and so. Uh, it's just kind of powerful, you know, think about it like, you know, what does this all, all this really mean? And in, I had a lot of time to think about this in the corona <laughs> pandemic, all these deep thoughts because I don't have anything, you know, else to do. But, yeah, I've been thinking about it like, you know, you, it really takes, you know, I think we all need to take this time to be just gr- grateful. I think gratitude goes such oh, a does, long yeah. way, you know, because when was the last time instead of asking God for something, you thanked God for giving you what you already oh, yeah. have? I don't think a lot of people, you know, take the time to do that. I think that can really make a difference. Yeah, in if, if you have, even if you don't believe in God, like I think you should. This is what my mentor told me as well. He's like, when you go to bed, ask yourself, what's one good thing you've done just for God today? Like, it's just a very generic thing to say, which which really highlights what's one good thing you've done in the entire day. Sometimes even I can't. It, like, let me think about it yesterday. Like I can't answer that actually. I really can't. I haven't done anything for anybody else, so with just the pure intention of helping somebody else. And I, I think this is the this is the kind of motivation we need to do really, not just for med school, but for anything in life. Uh, but going back to the question, uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what's your what's your general, what does a normal day look like in med school for, you, for yourself? Yeah, so normal day in US med school, um, I don't know how different it is, uh, it is in Australia or Canada or anywhere else, but the cool thing about med school here is that classes are not mandatory oh really and uh that was a game changer what? yeah classes you know actually uh we have, we have 150 people in my class only about 10 of them go to really class. the rest the rest of yeah, the rest of us we all just stay, stay at home and study or go to what? the library <laughs> and so that's crazy and so w- what happens is like like for example my typical day in med school is i suck at it right now i go to bed at like two or three but no, I, no, in okay. my normal routine i'm at bed by 10 and I would try to wake up at four and I kind of have my own little morning routine, like to pray, like to do a little bit of exercise and whatnot. But after I'm done with that morning routine, uh, typically probably at five or six, um, I start studying and I, I, I study the, the, the content of the day before. So I'll review flashcards, review my notes, but typically the first lecture is from eight to nine. And so as soon as nine o'clock hits, the, the lecture is posted online on this website for the med school. And so as soon as it's posted, I click on that lecture. And the cool thing is, is that because it's recorded, you can watch it at 1.5 speed, which is what I do because the professor's going to uh. talk slowly. <laughs> and I'll pause it nice. and uh, I'll write notes and whatnot. And that's what I really love because I can't really keep up in class because there's just so much content that's being I bet, given. Yeah. So I really love hitting the pause button and like reflecting. And then that's what it did. So it's kind of funny. I've, I finished my first year of med school. But I've only been to class one time. <laughs> That's really, <laughs> that's hilarious. So, how, how do you end up like uh, you know uh, networking if you're not going to class at all? 
Yeah, so there's mandatory um there there's quizzes every week and then we had dissections every Very week. Cool. So we had la- in other words lab, we just called it anatomy lab. And so you're forced to all the people that don't come to class, you know, everyone is in school that day taking the quiz and like we're put in different groups and we network. And the cool thing about med school here is that after every exam, the whole class goes out and celebrates. Uh, like the whole class, like we will rent out uh, like a uh, just a social wow. venue. And whether you drink alcohol or don't drink, it doesn't really matter. Everyone's just 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 hanging around, that's having awesome. a good time. I love playing pool and ping yeah. pong, and uh, that's where most of my socializing is done. Is like those kind of like little celebrations where all of us kind of just get together and we celebrate being done with an it, exam. It feels like, you know, med school was designed for the pandemic. It, it, it's not in fact at all, is it? <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it is yeah, effectively yeah. literally not nothing. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious cuz uh when I was uh, I was in California when when it first started, uh so uh you know, all my my peers are like, oh, "We we don't got school tomorrow." That's awesome. But then weeks go by and it's not come it, nothing's going back to normal. It's like and then we we start getting nervous, you know. <laughs> that's that's awesome. But yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I, 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 I guess that's pretty good for you. But so coming to the next question, what's your biggest challenge in med school? Biggest challenge in med school. So I, I want to give two things. I had two biggest Absolutely. challenges my first year. Uh, number one was um, how to study. Mm. So what I mean by this is this sounds kind of funny. The first we had an orientation the first week of med school. The orientation is literally a week long where it's just a bunch of social events. And the med school hosted. So the med school took us out on a cruise, then took us out to dinners, where a whole class mm. was invited. In fact, the, the president of the med school invited 150 students to her house for a barbecue. <laughs> like, a bunch of fun cool. stuff. But the one thing that stood out to me during this orientation week, we, ha- we had a mandatory lecture that we had to go to in school. And the lecture was by someone... Uh, I think it was some professor, but the lecture was over how mm. to study. Now, a lot of us didn't take it seriously because there's there's like PhDs in my class. There's people from Ivy League schools. And I'm not going to lie. I was a little cocky coming in because I'm like I'm like a young student who just got <laughs> you know, did well on the MCAT GPA and all this. Like I'm a, I'm a little cocky. There. I was like, I know how to study. <laughs> this can't be that hard. And 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 anyway, long story short, the first exam, I almost failed. I was actually one question away from failing the first wow. exam. But I studied my wow. butt off. Like I, 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 it was the hardest I've ever studied for an exam, like twice as much as undergrad. Wow. But I, I, I almost failed. And I remember going to my professors, and I was like, I don't know what I did wrong. <laughs> like, and they, I told them how I studied. And they said how I studied was wrong. They, I took handwritten notes. You know, because typically how you study in undergrad is you watch a lecture, mm-hmm. you take handwritten notes, and you memorize and regurgitate mm-hmm. it on mm-hmm. the test. Um, I tried doing that for med school and I had about 25 pages of notes for my first exam. And realistically, you know, no human can memorize that every mm. single bullet point. And that's what I was trying to do. So I had to completely change the way that I studied. My professors helped me and I did fine the rest of the semester. So kind of undoing 12 years worth of studying habits all in one semester was kind of a, a challenging thing for yeah, me. Yeah. Cause I have to rethink about Dude, how to you, study. You, this is like personal question as well. And what, how do you, so how do you recommend studying? That's something I really want to ask you right now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I want to talk about two different types of learning. One is called active recall. One is called, I think it's called passive learning. 
active learning or mm-hmm. passive learning, right? Passive learning is when you say you're reading you're reading a textbook. You're just reading it. Um, you're just you're just looking at equations. You're just reading it, and that's called passive learning. Uh, another way of passive learning is you look at a textbook and you write down mm-hmm. a bullet point. Even actually, that is still classified as really? passive learning. Uh, yeah, that is still considered passive learning. And so, there's a bunch of scientific studies. Passive learning is the worst way to study. Um, it's good for cramming. So, say you have an exam the next day and you just want to cram information for 24 hours. Passive learning can work then. It's good for short-term mm-hmm. recall, but for a- active learning and long-term learning. Um, flashcards are number one. Um, well, number two, what I do is instead of writing notes and copying, I'll write notes from memory. So for example, I'll, t- like, I'll give you an example. Um, I had a test for metabolism in med school. And so from memory, I wrote down everything that I knew about glyclo- uh, glycolysis. Then the, the citric acid cycle, the electron transport chain. I wrote everything that I knew, and I asked myself questions. I was like, okay, if this enzyme doesn't work, then what happens to my sugar levels? If I exercise a lot, what's happening to my pH levels? I, like, I kept asking myself all these mm. questions. That's called active learning compared to me just reading, sure. looking at a picture of the glycolysis path and be like, okay, I know <laughs> what that is. Because it gives you a false confidence. Right. And so once you do active learning, that that the cool thing about active learning is it – you realize all these gaps in your knowledge, the, what you didn't actually sure, know. Because sure. I would ask myself questions like, okay, what happens if this enzyme is overactivated? Mm. And then if I didn't know the question, I'd be like, oh crap, that could be a test question. I should probably figure that out. And so I, I, I learned all these gaps. And then my favorite way, my favorite technique for anyone who's watching, this is gonna sound a little weird, but when I was studying for my exams, I would act like I'm explaining it to someone else. There's a famous quote that says, if you can teach a concept to someone else, then two people mm-hmm. learn. Uh, so I, I would literally act like I'm sitting next to someone. I'm explaining something to Talk them. Talking to the like, walls okay, is so gone insane. Okay. Here's how you want to interpret <laughs> Right, right. So I'm literally talking yeah, yeah, to yeah. an imaginary friend. And I'm explaining, like, like, here's how you do this question. Here's what that word actually means. And so by, 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 by theoretically teaching someone that really helped you're right you're right that's like one of my favorite tactics i I, I actually tried doing that myself and i started recording some videos as well you know i was just like you know just talk to myself record a video just throw it on on the internet might help somebody uh and this brings us to the mcat which is uh something that's very daunting it's for someone like myself uh so i'm 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 19 at the moment i I gotta take it in in two or three years from now but uh, i started studying for it already uh but really it's Fighting the start. If you were to just go back and just start, let's say you had to take the exam again, or you went back in time, uh, what are some things you would do to study the MCAT? What's your me- method? What's your study plan for the MCAT? That's a good question because the way that I study was horrible. <laughs> so if I were to restudy, I would do it completely different. Uh, I actually run like a little tutoring company. It's called Medic Drive for anyone That's watching. Right, yeah. um, I basically have tutor students and I, I tell them what I would have done. And what I would have done is that number one, I was in an unfortunate situation with my major. My major was kind of designed for students to take the MCAT their senior year, because that's when you would have all your pre, mm. prerequisite medical cl- pre-med classes done. However, if you apply your senior year, then you would be forced to take a gap mm-hmm. year and wait for medical school decisions. 
So I was very stubborn and I didn't want to take a gap year because I just wanted to get into medical school. So in order to do that, all the students who don't want to take a gap year, they apply their junior mm. year. And then senior year, they heard back, they hear back if they got accepted or not. And then they would start the, net, the you know, after senior year. So the problem was when I took the MCAT, I, at my junior year, I did not have all my prereqs done. So I had major content gaps in my knowledge. So the first thing that I would do is make a list of all the classes that are that are going to be tested on the MCAT and 100% make sure you've you've taken all those classes and actually understand those classes because that's not what I did. I was missing um, biochemistry and an Gosh. MCAT related microbiology, which is actually a whole yeah. section on the MCAT, bio, bio, bio and biochem and psychology. So I was missing wow. half of the MCAT uh, knowledge. And to make it worse on myself, I had about a month to study, which is not wow. enough time. And so insane, I, that's, that's I, I remember taking my... That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I took my diagnostic test my first day of studying just to see where I was, and I scored a 490, which is not good. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, long story short, I, I worked at it for like a month. I, 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 took, I, I took my test after that month, and I was burnt out when I took it. So I, re- I, t- I started studying again the next day without even knowing my score. And I scheduled it again for two weeks later. And uh, when I scheduled it again that second time, I, my score ended up being like a 490 due. I think it was a 504 or 505, which is oh. decent enough to Big get job. into yeah. medical school in America. It, it'll, it'll get you in there. Um, but what I would recommend to someone, if I could redo this whole thing over again, or if I'm talking to a freshman right now or sophomore, is... Um, number one, take bio, mm. take biochemistry. That is the most high yield class on the MCAT. Um, it's huge, and make sure you actually understand mm. it. It's not one of those classes where you want to forget the information after the test. Everything you learn in that class is relevant to the MCAT. Number two, I would recommend a minimum of two months mm-hmm. of studying. Um, and when I say two months of studying, I mean treating it like a full time job for two months, not like three hours of studying, two hours of studying for two months. I mean like nine oh, to yeah. five every day coming down to um for sorry two for, months. for cutting there but coming nine to five right so uh yeah i have the kaplan pearson book sitting up over there do you recommend just going through the books or do you spend do you recommend spending most of the time on practice exams what's your view on that yeah yeah so there's uh there's a few question i recommend doing practice questions day okay, one really um there's a section on the amcat called called cars which is oh, yeah. critical reading you don't need any studying for that. It's not like a content-based uh, section. It's just reading mm-hmm. comprehension. So I don't see why you wouldn't be able to start that as a freshman in, in undergrad. You can start doing cars passages literally the first day you mm-hmm. walk into college because there's no studying Thanks, that's yeah. necessary. Um, but w- one, once you're actually in MCAT dedicated time, um, what I typically did was, uh, are those the Princeton books got, you have back there? I got there? Kaplan and Princeton, Princeton both. I, both are sitting up there. You got yeah. Kaplan and Princeton? Kaplan books specifically, I don't know about Princeton, they have high yield chapters marked. It literally says high yield. I would go through mm. all of those first. I would skip the low yield stuff and don't worry about it because I took the MCAT twice. Almost every high yield topic in those Kaplan books was on really? my MCAT. Okay. Um, so I would master the high yield concepts like 100% and then you can go back and work on the low yield stuff. So I would, I would skip around, master the high yield stuff and the cool thing about the Kaplan books is after you read a chapter, there's practice questions at the end. So you can immediately test yourself. 
So that's what I would do. Um, I would probably do content revision and then test myself every day. So revise content, test yourself, and then based on what you got wrong, revise it again. It's kind of like I've heard people say, and then sorry, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, you, you, so yeah, I've heard you people say? say that the Kaplan questions and the Princeton questions at the end of the chapter are kind of not done in a similar style as the MCAT, obviously, and therefore we should skip it. What's your view on that? Yeah, so my view on that is any practice mm. is a good practice. <laughs> and so, um, Kaplan, Kaplan, I can tell is their questions are hard harder than their normal MCAT. I will say that. I actually used the Kaplan, it's called the self-paced online service. Mm. There's a program that Kaplan has where they have videos for every section of the MCAT. Uh, I bought that when I was studying. It's it's an optional thing. I bought it because I had severe content deficiencies, so I needed a supplemental mm -hmm. thing. But if you're good on content, you don't need to buy a program like that. But um, Kaplan has hard questions. But I think if you can get the hard questions right, you're more likely to get the easier ones on the actual MCAT mm -hmm. right. Um, but in terms of like practice resources, I think the go-to are UWorld that a lot of people like to use. Um, I like to use Khan Academy because it's partnered with the AAMC, with the people who make the exam. And number three, the obvious one is AAMC. They're, they have a bunch of question banks. So I think if you go through those three resources, I mean, I, th I think there's plenty of enough practice questions yeah uh yeah totally so if you had three years let's say you had you started like freshman year okay you used somebody watching this is you know right in the start uh now obviously going through the content asap might not be the best idea since you might forget it and also you have you have, you have coursework to focus on uh let's say you have a lot of time three years how are how will you break that time into you know studying for the mcat right so i I would honestly, the only studying for the MCAT I would do the first two years would just be doing well in your classes mm -hmm. because your GPA matters yes. a ton. So by doing well in your classes, you're indirectly studying for the MCAT because we're learning Makes that sense. content. In terms of direct studying for the MCAT, you can do CARS passages, which was what I would recommend. Because once again, that's just reading comprehension. Um, I think third year, uh, if you're one of those students who doesn't want to take a gap year, so third year students, I think that's when you can hit the when you can open up the books and drill down what you don't know from your classes. So I skipped around quite a bit. So for example, um, I was kind of weak on mitosis and meiosis when I started studying my third year because I hadn't seen this stuff since freshman. It can year. get confusing, yeah. And so yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I, I I quickly review that stuff. So I just focus on my weaknesses. I think that's a really big point that I would recommend for someone studying is that there's a psychological tendency for students to practice on stuff that they're good mm. at, which is really funny because I do that in med school too. I fall victim to it. I like to focus on certain topics that I know I'm going to get their questions right and avoid the ones that I'm going to get them wrong because it makes me feel bad about <laughs> myself. Um, so I recommend if you're studying for the MCAT to make an Excel document and every time you get a question wrong, Put that in the Excel document with the content area. So, for example, say I'm doing a uh, like a question on mitosis, and the question is like, how many cells does mitosis produce? And I pick mm -hmm. four, and so I get that question wrong. The answer is meiosis produces four, and so I will put on my Excel sheet mitosis versus meiosis, and that lets me know that I have a mm -hmm. weakness, a deficiency in um, cell division. So I would review that chapter. 
But say I'm really good at hormones, like the insulin and growth hormones. Say I'm really good at that chapter. I wouldn't worry about that mm-hmm. chapter at all. So my goal that I teach students is find your weaknesses and make them Makes your sense. strengths. That's smart. And I think that's the best way to do it on the MCAT. So I would drill that down third year because by third year, you've taken all these classes. You have a baseline of knowledge. Find what you're not good at. Go through the Kaplan books and make that your strength. That's smart. Just kind of like just skim over the, the Kaplan books and, okay, I don't understand this. Spend time on this. I understand this. Move on. That's smart. Exactly. You don't need to read it word to word and memorize every page. That's a waste of That's time. That's very smart. Yeah. Uh, so going back to discussion real fast. Uh, so the we talked about the key difference between undergrad and med school, obviously, the online factor. But besides that, is there anything else that's different? Yeah, so with the with the med school and undergrad, I think like you're taken much more for professionally as a as a med student. Um, there's a saying, um, there's a white coat ceremony uh, that's a pretty big deal in the USA medical schools. There's a saying that your journey as a doctor begins as soon as you put on your white coat. And what that what that essentially means is now you are a professional. Like just because you're a medical student doesn't mean you still get to, you know, like mess around. Like you are seen as a professional. Um, when you're not wearing your white coat, like when you're just out in public, because people associate you with mm-hmm. being a doctor. So, you know, it, it's kind of like you got to be p- careful about what you post on social media. Like you're, you're a professional. Like I have family members who ask me for medical oh, yeah. advice. And I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it's, it's, I think that's the really big thing is now you're taken seriously as an adult and as a professional and your expectations are much, much higher. I, I think it might way. be a little bit extra in the Daisy culture. I think so. I think it's like, oh, but he's in medical school now. He's in medical school now, so he's a shit, you know? <laughs> but Yeah, yeah. They've started calling me Dr. Soft now. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go, man. Uh, just two more years, man. You're almost going to get there. You're going to be there. Uh, almost there. there. But uh, so, you know, there, there's a lot of distraction in, in, in life generally, not just school. How do you keep away from these distractions some of them you just can't avoid but how do you try to you know filter yourself from this yeah so uh, to answer that question i had the problem with my first exam actually i thought i studied my butt off but i used this i want to share this trick it's called a stopwatch mm-hmm. trick essentially i was told by my upperclassman friend whenever you're studying um, and say your goal is to study eight hours because typically med school is a full-time job so you want to study six to eight hours every day and so I try to hit that eight hour mark and I set a I set a stopwatch so it started zero and as soon as I start studying I click start and it times me now the thing is every time I look at my phone every time I take a bathroom break every mm-hmm. time I I'm like hey let me just watch this five minute YouTube video real quick I have to click pause on that stopwatch Smart. and it was it was enlightening to me because I didn't realize how much time I was wasting. All those little breaks add up. So I was sitting in my study room for eight hours, but I actually only got five and a half hours worth of studying done. And that's a lot of time that you're missing. And once I started realizing like, oh crap, like I'm actually wasting a lot of time. Um, the first thing that did was I recommend like putting your phone in another room or putting it on airplane mode because it can get really easy to be like oh let me just text this person back real fast and then you're distracted from studying and because i 
for for me personally for me to get the most out of my studying then i have to be like in f- deep concentration full quiet and i can't have my phone buzzing when i'm in that mo- i call it study mode so i recommend turning your phone off in airplane mode there's a bunch of apps like if you open your phone then you lose a game or you lose points there's a bunch of these like little mm-hmm. apps um next thing is like I would take breaks every hour, like a five minute break. So every hour when it hits 60, 60 minutes on my stopwatch, I literally just do maybe do a few push ups, stretch, drink some like drink some water, get a light snack. I would time my breaks to be 10 minutes and that'd give me my brain to refresh and then uh, back back again an hour. So like an hour and 10 minute breaks, just have breaks scheduled throughout the day. And then I think the biggest thing to not get distracted is if you have once again a reward mm. system. So something that I looked forward to doing at the end of the day. And for it's different for everyone. Everyone has their own thing that they love doing. And so on my lazy days, I was like, you know what? If I get my eight hours of studying them today and I watch these four lectures and actually understand them, I'm going to watch this basketball game tonight that's going to be on. But if I don't get it done, then I'm not going to watch this basketball game. But you see, the trick with this is and you so, yourself are rewarding yourself and, you know, uh, it's, it's all based on yourself but the issue is some of us kind of like give up so it's like okay you know uh, you know fine sure we're gonna we're gonna sell, hold ourselves self accountable and you know you, you said this in your um, your TED talk let me find that code real fast you said once we claim responsibility it robs us of any excuses right but then many times people including myself right. you know they're you know I'm gonna get every, get up every morning exercise study the MCAT but uh, we'll do it for a week, but we can't keep up with it. So what do you tell yourself uh, to to not, you know, go that route? Yeah, yeah. I think, like, especially with habits like that is a lot of people try to go from zero to 100 oh, yeah. really fast. And that's when habits start breaking. So, like, for example, um, when I started studying, I wasn't I, I, I didn't go from studying two hours a day to eight hours a day from day three to four. I I had it in increments, mm. so like I try to I try to focus exclusively for one hour with no distractions. Then the next the next day I was like okay one hour and fifteen minutes with no distractions, and so I had like an incremental thing. And I think it's the same thing with working out. I think it's it's kind of silly to tell someone who's never been to the gym in their life and put them on a four day workout program, and because um, because I recommend it if you're trying to build a habit you it's gotta start yeah. small. Absolutely. So like if you're incremental like start literally one day a week for Mm. 30 minutes like bare like bare minimum next day second week sit that one minute that one day but bump it up to 45 Mm. minutes and then the next week you do two days a week for 45 like incremental whatever stage that works i think a lot of people give up on these habits is because they go from zero to 100 way Mm. too fast and you lose all motivation and i think the best i think the I think happiness comes from the journey and not the outcome. Because I love the one thing that we can't control is the outcome, but we can control our work effort. That's 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 the rule that I live by. The I think my Instagram quote, I think it's still on there. But at, uh, if I could have one quote marked on my gravestone, it would be, I have failed many times in my life, but none of my failures have ever been due to a lack of work effort. That's right. It just reminds and me of. Uh, sorry, it, <laughs> keep going. You just reminded me of. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You know, you go on. What does it remind you? I'm Mike curious. Mike Tyson, and he, you know, he said before he, the, he said he mentioned himself. You know, the scariest time 
for a boxer is right before you get into the ring. It's the scariest time ever. But he said, you know, if you give all you got inside a fight and you lose, that you know that you lo- you gave everything you had. So you can't be pissed at yourself. You know what I mean? It, it kind of just reminded me of that. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Let me share another story sure, sure. exactly with another boxer, Floyd Mayweather. Oh, yeah. For anyone who's, who doesn't know anything about boxing, Floyd Mayweather is the only boxer in history to be undefeated. And so... There's a there's a there's a cool story. There's this um, there's this famous businessman. He went up. He he was at Floyd Mayweather Floyd Mayweather's um like um locker room before Floyd Mayweather's big fight. And this businessman, he was really like nervous because he was afraid that Floyd Mayweather's gonna be like on edge and like really nervous. And and when he went into the room, uh, Mayweather's just chilling watching TV. Like he's just <laughs> up on the couch, yeah. drinking some water, uh, listening to music. And the businessman is like really confused. He's like, "Hey, man, like, are you are you like nervous? Are you kind of like stressed out? Like your championships on the line?" And like, and Mayweather had a response that was really inspirational. He said, "I put in all the work. No amount of worrying is going to make a difference now." And I think that's just that's just the way to do it. You know, we can't really control what the outcome is, but we can control the amount of work that we put into it. And that's kind of that's what drives me every day. Yeah, I think for students like myself, you know, I tell myself, uh, I think of that moment. This is how I, I kind of motivate myself. I think of that moment when I get my, the response from med school. Like, all right, now it's time to click the button and see if I got it or not. This is the time. But then yeah, at that point, I can't do anything about it. But this very moment, whatever I do can make a difference. So that's something that kind of reflects what you just told right now. It's If you want to make that difference in that very special moment in your life, it's doing it's the now that matters i totally agree with that part and you brought up a really good point actually that's something that i kind of want to talk about here visualization one of the people that i actually when i was studying for the mcat one of the people that i looked looked like kind of studied was arnold schwarzenegger the reason why is because he had an interesting theory about visualization he said that whenever he was doing bicep curls he would close his eyes and he would visualize his muscles becoming bigger and really? stronger. And I thought this was a bunch of hocus <laughs> pocus. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's kind of all right, whatever. I looked up. I looked into it. I was like, okay. Because uh, back back when I was studying for the MCAT, meditation was like going all viral. There were a lot of ads. And I kind of looked into it. I was like, okay, what's, what's this whole meditation visualization thing about? There's scientific studies that have actually proven that simply visualizing a muscle fiber working actually activates really? it, which is widely insane. It activates that say, like your your that part of the brain becomes activated, which is absolutely insane. So there is a scientific, actual proof behind this. And so what I did for the MCAT, I was like stressed as hell during my MCAT setting. I was on like twelve hour days. Oh. I I'm not kidding. You said you like visualize yourself getting that acceptance letter. I went on my school website and I looked up a sample acceptance <laughs> letter, right? And I, I copied and pasted it onto uh, my, Microsoft Word. That's awesome. <laughs> and I changed the... I, they have like a sample name, right? Dear John, congrats on getting accepted into med school. I changed the name to Dear Faison Ahmed. <laughs> congrats on getting accepted into med school. I, pr- I printed that out and I, I taped it on my wall. Every morning when I woke up before studying for the MCAT, first thing I would do is visualization 10 minutes, me visualizing studying for the MCAT. That's awesome. 
getting into med school. Second thing I would do is I would read the letter that I wrote myself. Third thing that I would do is um, I was working at an internship. During my lunch breaks, I would go and sit outside the medical school and stare at the sign that said University of Louisville Medical School. That's, that's where I go. And I had a journal with me. And I would write down 10 times every day, I will get into the U- University of Louisville Medical School. I did that 10, I wrote that 10 times every day and I did that for about five months. Really? Wow. Yeah. So every day I did those three things. Like I was just a habit. I could, my day was not complete without <laughs> those three things. And, you know, it, everything totally worked out. It's totally, totally you know? committed into it hundred percent. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, so I was thinking, you know, uh, social media, you kind of mentioned it before as well. I think it's associated with wasting time and depression sometimes as well. Cause you're not like, I think, I feel like the, the difference in the past and today is normally you just had to, you know, you, you go and talk to a person, catch up with them, you know, what's going on with your life. But now we just open our cell phones up and see, all right, the students that were here, but you're not really, t- you're not really having that inter- interaction anymore, if you know what I mean. But some I've I've multiple I try I try this multiple times you know just quitting social media just shutting it down, but then again you just keep coming back to it. I don't know why, but I just keep coming back to it. That's not a way out. Uh, but let's say that you yourself didn't have you know medic tribe, which is your and I'll leave the 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 link in the description as well, uh, which is your uh, MCAT uh, course or your MCAT stuff, right? So uh, yeah, like yeah. if you don't have that, would you just totally just shut down social media so i think social media is the biggest curse and biggest blessing in today's society oh yeah um i I suffered from this actually i uh, something i i suffered from fomo which is fear of missing out um when i was studying for the mcat so essentially like you know i had instagram and i on my five minute mcat breaks i would just go on instagram and just scroll down and I'm seeing all these pictures of my friends at the beach, oh, man. taking these vacations, <laughs> and then here I am studying uh, glycolysis. I mean, I it actually it actually really killed me. It really demoralized me. So I had to delete the app because it was ne- mentally negatively mm. affecting me. So I think the curse about social media is that you try to seek. You know, I think everyone to some extent falls victim to external validation. They're trying to post these pictures, post these accomplishments, hoping that we get a certain amount mm-hmm. of likes hoping that a certain amount of people Definitely. comment and say congrats. And I think, I, th- I think it's, it's important to be self-aware of why you're using social media in the first place. It's okay to like, you know, tell people what you're up to. I like to tell you, know, I use social media so I can keep up with my friends who I don't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to see every day. They were in different countries. Um, like you, we communicate, communicated through social media. This Absolutely, wouldn't be happening yeah. if you hadn't Absolutely, messaged yeah. me. Um, so that brings me to how it's a blessing. I think every young professional needs to make their personal mm-hmm. brand. You know, what that means is like, we're, you know, have your own business card, have a YouTube channel, have your own, inst- like a professional LinkedIn, have an Instagram account, document your journey. And that will do you wonders because number one, you're building a professional brand. You're kind of advertising yourself. Number two, you're going to inspire so many other people. And the number three, don't do it for this reason, but it makes money. You know, you, you document your journey, you gain followers on YouTube, you oh, can absolutely. monetize it, and that becomes a passive income stream. Absolutely. I, I think uh, the right perspective to have is some people have this crab mentality. They're like, okay, if this other person is doing really well, I'm just going to 
you know, pull him down. If whatever I can do, I'm just going to pull him down. But, but I, I feel like going back to what you said right now is if you are in a sense having a business mindset, I notice that people who have this mindset they get very far. It's a very strong motivating thing. You know what I mean? So, uh, exactly. yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you said. And this is getting very long. I'm just gonna one last question so we can finish this then. Uh, so oh, no, what's no your worries. final Thank advice? You. Uh, really, you can talk about anything you want for medical students overall, and really anybody, any kind of student, anybody you can offer. Yeah, my first advice is, you know, make sure you're in it for the mm. right reasons. Don't do it for the money. You, there's better ways to make money. Don't Absolutely. do it for the prestige. And don't do it because your parents want you, want you to. Because... Uh, uh, I, I, you know, speaking from a first year med student perspective, I've only been in it for one year, but it's way too hard mm. to be trying to fulfill someone else's dreams. Um, it'll weed you out if you're doing this for reasons other than trying to actually help people. So ask yourself why you're actually in it. And then number two, um, perseverance and persistence. I mean, it's, it's not going to be easy. I think the pre-med classes are not easy. I think the MCAT is insanely difficult. Um, and the application process is so stressful because after you take the MCAT, you got all these essays to write, you got to worry about interviews. And my thing is don't lose sight. It's, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's okay to apply twice. It's okay to apply three times. Um, if your heart's in it, you will get in. And so that's my biggest advice is like, I wear, um, I don't know if you can see it on camera, but I wear this little thing, give up. Um, a little like wristband and it says never give up. And I, I bought this when I started studying for the MCAT two years ago, and I haven't taken it off since. It's a constant and reminder. Just a reminder, just don't give up. And that's that's all I can say. That's yeah. great, man. That's great. It was nice talking to you, man, really. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, well, I'm going to yeah. end the podcast right here. So thank you for watching.